Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, uh, host of the Remnant Podcast. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Ethos. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, so what we're going to do today is, uh, very quickly, just some plain old rank punditry. This isn't going to be a very long show. Uh, you know, I could get deep into the weeds of the complicated nature of the logistics of podcast recording and what it has to do with, you know, sort of weather patterns in South America. But we're just not going to get into all of that and just take suffice it to say that if we wanted to do two shows this week, we needed to do one on rank punditry right now. And also because I have a burning need to vent a little bit about the whole Ukraine story and the insanity of it all. And, um, I didn't know when I was going to have that opportunity. So it's just Jack and I. Hello, Jack. Hi. Yeah, that's Jack. So I wrote my LA Times column about this. You can find it somewhere, I'm sure, maybe the LA Times. Uh, you could also, the syndicated version will be out by the time this airs, probably. Look, I, in the era of Trump, and look, and if you're one of these people who just gets really upset by criticism of Trump, you should probably just, you know, stop playing this one right now. The thing that drives me the most crazy about the, um, Ukraine story is the way everybody is just supposed, everybody on the right is supposed to just fall in line with one of the, um, Jack can get the bleep button ready, bullshit efforts I've seen in politics in a while. I, I carry really no water for Joe Biden. I've been making fun of Joe Biden for literally 20 years. I can provide, you know, documentation for all that. I've never thought he was a very, impressive guy. I don't think he's a bad guy. I mean, I, I mean, he's done some venal things like telling black audiences that Republicans want to put them back in chains. I never thought he provided any gravitas to the um, Obama ticket in 2008. Um, I thought uh, it was actually, it's funny, um, a friend of mine, a very famous guy who I can't divulge, told said to me in like 2008 that, uh, that Biden was sort of like Willis from the Jeffersons um, in the sense he was the white guy that um, was going to make Obama seem all the more sort of serious and important. And and um, it's not Willis. Is it Willis? You, you, you never watched the Jeffersons. I, I've seen episodes, but yeah. I don't remember the, the, well enough. The dumb white guy neighbor. And, uh, uh, you know, and I think that's always been the case is that Biden is kind of a joke. Um, at least in his public persona. Uh, that's why we saw all of those Photoshop things of him washing his Trans Am and his tank top and all of the rest. Um, there's just something sort of ridiculous about the guy, though there are lots of people who say in person he's a much more serious, interesting person. Um, but I think he's sort of been generally wrong on almost every single foreign policy issue of the last 20 years. Um, and he's weird. He's just a weird dude. And he says weird things. And it also seems to me that Hunter Biden... Uh, is a ethically challenged guy. Um, it seems to me obvious that he's into some sketchy business dealings and all of the rest. But there is no serious reporting that, that suggests that what Joe Biden did when he pressured the Ukrainian government to fire that prosecutor, that he was doing anything unethical or out of bounds. The EU, the State Department, the president of the United States, everybody was on board as a matter of policy that had been worked out for a very long time to f to pressure <laughs> Ukraine to fire a corrupt prosecutor who was not investigating 
Biden's on Hunter Biden, he was slow walking corruption cases. And when they put in a new uh, prosecutor after they Biden helped force that guy out, they actually started investigating the Burisma, the company that that Hunter Biden was on the board of. Moreover, Hunter Biden was hired as part of the sort of uh, turnaround project to decorrupt um, or, or clean out corruption at that company. I'm not saying it was all above board. For all I know, Hunter Biden belongs in jail. I could not give a rat's <laughs> But the idea that somehow the new talking point, which like Peter Schweitzer and Mark Levin and a bunch of these people are putting out, is that they are trying to turn the uh, what should be a Biden scandal into a Trump scandal is BS. You could stipulate up front, Biden did something terrible. Maybe he did. I don't think he did. I think that this is all gaslighting and smear merchant stuff. But let's say for the sake of argument that Biden did something very bad. That does not excuse what Donald Trump has essentially confessed to doing. You cannot, let's say Trump's charges are absolutely 100% accurate against Joe Biden. That still means that, that that does not justify what Donald Trump did. And the amazing chutzpah of all of this is that we're talking about literally the day after Mueller testifies before Congress and puts a, you know, basically closes the chapter on the allegation that Donald Trump willfully colluded with the Russians to uh, rig our elections or to interfere in our elections. Literally, you know, which for two years we've been hearing people including many friends of mine, wax righteously and incandescently indignant at the mere suggestion that maybe Trump would do something like that. How dare you, sir, suggest that, you know, Comrade Trump would ever collude with the Russians. This is an insane conspiracy theory. And so the day after Mueller testifies, putting that chapter to bed, Trump literally calls the Ukrainian government and tries to enlist them in precisely the same sort of activity. He does. He wants to get the Ukrainian government involved to do the spade work and in in a smear job and opposition research uh, against Joe Biden, who Donald Trump is terrified to run against. And when I hear people tell me, you know, on Twitter, all over the place, or in the halls of Fox News, that this is really about Ukrainian uh, corruption, it makes me want to set my hair on fire. Does any any serious person honestly believe? That on the merits, Donald Trump is very concerned about Ukrainian corruption, but he's not concerned about corruption in Russia, North Korea, Egypt, the Philippines. You can go on a very long list. He never says anything about or shows any serious concern about corruption anywhere. But this one case of alleged corruption, which is, as far as I can tell still, basically factually groundless... He just seems it just it's just a coincidence that it involves the guy that he's terrified of running against in 2020 because he's getting crushed by him in the polls. And we're all supposed to go along and be, and act as if we believe this crap when it's so obviously a put up job. And when you when I see friends of mine on the right dutifully just going along with the script that they've been handed, it I find it so unbelievably depressing. You know, why can't we just say, you know, this was you know, Trump did something very bad, but the election is coming. I don't think it's worth impeaching him over. Or I think it's too late to start an impeachment inquiry. Um, we should censure him or whatever, but impeachment is too big a gun, blah, 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 blah. They can't say any of that. They instead ha either have to go completely to ground 
Or they have to pretend, which is what the the pressure is on, have to pretend that the really troubling story here is the Biden thing. It's just not. And this idea that somehow if he didn't ask for a quid pro quo, everything is okay, is nonsense. Look, in the world of diplomatic language, right, if you, for no apparent reason, hold up money that was congressionally approved, hold up military aid for a country that literally has Ukrainians being killed at the border by Russians, if you hold up that aid without giving any explanation or any real explanation, and then when the president of Ukraine calls and asks what, uh, you know, what's going on or can we please get our aid that, you know, you guys said you were going to send us, the president says, well, you know, what you really need to do is work with Rudy Giuliani looking at Joe Biden's corruption. You know, that would be really important. He doesn't have to say, if you don't do that, you're not getting your aid. It's all obviously implied. I mean, it's, it, it's the entire context. He, Trump eight times pressured the Ukrainian government, according to the Wall Street Journal, to go after Joe Biden. And we're supposed to believe that this was going to be interpreted by the Ukrainian government and the, you know, as, as not a request or a demand or pressure. I mean, come on. Who actually believes that away from a camera or a microphone? It's just all so much nonsense. We're all supposed to sort of just internalize the bull and play um, according to a script. And it drives me crazy. And that's like Rudy Giuliani. So I was at Fox News Sunday on um, coincidentally on Sunday and Giuliani came in to do his his bit. And it was hilarious. He comes in and. John Roberts, who's a really great guy and a good reporter, but he just got steamrolled, asked him about the CNN interview, which, you know, was almost like a scene out of like a Farrelly Brothers movie or something where where Giuliani, you know, indignantly says that he didn't ask the Ukrainians at all about Joe Biden. And then literally within like 10 seconds, he walks the other end of the Mobius strip of his brain and says, of course I did ask them about Joe Biden. He was at, you know, uh, Giuliani tried to clear all of that up on Fox, and he takes great offense at his critics of that interview by saying, you know, they're just trying to make it sound like I am on some political mission for my client, the president of the United States, and that this is all essentially just, you know, uh, that I'm some sort of a political hatchet man. And then he spends the next seven and a half minutes whirling around a hatchet like he's in a lumberjack competition, go, you know, calling Hunter Biden... Um, a drug addict and just spraying dirt all over the place and muddying the you know muddy, muddying up everything because um, he's clearly on he's 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 basically Corey Lewandowski with a better resume and the idea that somehow this is all about Donald Trump's serious concern about corruption in Ukraine the only country where he cares about corruption if he really cared about corruption you don't send your personal attorney. To go, you know, your your new Roy Cohn, you don't send him off to Ukraine to be your emissary for the issue. There are structures that deal with this sort of thing, and so it's it's all, you know, like I don't I don't I don't really care about the impeachment question. Yeah, I think this is an impeachable offense. I think it's just impeachable per se. I think, as I've talked about here a lot of times, I think a lot of things are impeachable. I think, you know, in the same way that a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich, Congress can impeach a president for anything it deems. Justified, And if it gets 51% of the votes for it, then it's a legitimate impeachment. And all of this importation of legalisms and all and the criminal procedure 
into the impeachment question is a completely category. It's it's a category error. That's not how it's supposed to work. The Federalist Papers are very clear about this. It's a political question. And so I think Obama did a lot of things that were impeachable that I would have voted to impeach him for, perhaps. I think George W. Bush did one or two things that were, you know, impeachable that I might have voted to impeach him for, perhaps. But this is impeachable. Now, we have a political timeline on elections coming up. The idea that you're going to do impeachment right before an election seems kind of silly. It's a real difficult political question for the Democrats, and, and they can do with it what they want with it. But the idea that you were supposed to sort of buy into this, oh, well, Joe Biden's corrupt and, and Trump is corrupt, therefore the two wash out stuff, it's just they're treating us all like we're idiots. And I just found it, incre- found it incredibly distasteful that I'm just sort of being asked to fall in line with it. One last point about, you know, so Mitt Romney says that, you know, tweets, gives out a statement saying, if these allegations are true, that would be very troubling. So then Donald Trump uh, goes out and tweets this, you know, this nasty Graham video about Mitt Romney making fun of Mitt Romney, mocking him and all the rest. And clearly it's a signal to other Republicans, don't you dare get on the wrong side of me on this stuff. But if you just take it seriously for just two seconds, I don't get it, right? Mitt Romney said if these allegations are true. Donald Trump says these allegations are not true. So why is he attacking Mitt Romney for condemning something that Donald Trump didn't do? Um, Of course, we're not supposed to take any of these kinds of things too seriously because the whole point is we're just supposed to fall in line. And I just – anyway, I am sorry. Uh, Jack, I know that was a major rant. Um, How you doing? Uh, The Senate – Impeachment needs two thirds of the Senate. You said fifty-one. No, that's conviction. Yeah, but that like impeachment doesn't mean removal, right? Impeachment is like an indictment. So that's my point. You can impeach him. I'm not saying. Uh, I, I'm saying you know, Bill Clinton was impeached. Yeah, he just wasn't removed. So then, what's the? They want the Democrats want him removed. Of course they do. I don't, and I don't blame them. You know, if I were a Democrat, I mean, look, I'm a Republican, and I have my sympathies with that, um, or at least I'm nominally a Republican. Um, my point is that, that, you know, there's all of this angels on a head of a pin. We need to know more. Where's the smoking gun? All this kind of stuff. They confessed to the smoking gun. I mean, they literally confessed. They said, you know, Donald Trump said he did this. He just, um, he didn't say that he put any pressure on them. And what he's doing there is what some people call lying. I mean, it's obvious that he is lying. Um, Rudy Giuliani um, confessed that they were putting pressure on the Ukrainian government to go after a political opponent. I think that's impeachable, right? They are the president of the United States is using his power to get a foreign government to do spade work against a political opponent for his narrow partisan interest, not for the national interest, not for national security or any of that kind of stuff, but solely because Joe Biden is beating him by ten points in all the swing states. If Joe Biden were, I mean, what serious person in America? thinks that if Joe Biden weren't running or that if he had dropped out, Donald Trump wouldn't, that Donald Trump would still be very concerned about corruption in Ukraine. I mean, it just, it it makes no sense whatsoever. It's preposterous. Um, so anyway, my point is, yeah, absolutely. The Senate, the Senate requires two thirds vote. He wouldn't get removed because the Republicans these days still all have sausage spines. Um, but uh, sausage spines. They bend very easily. Yeah, that's, just, that's <laughs> a really weird way of putting it. Um, but as an academic theoretical question or or just on the merits, of course this is impeachable. 
But lots of presidents do things that are impeachable that Congress, for political reasons, doesn't impeach them for. And I just I, I find that whole debate a little exhausting because people seem to think that the second you declare something is impeachable, that all of a sudden it's like, you know, that scene in War Games, turn your key, like the second both keys turn and you say something's impeachable, that all sorts of stuff happens. And it's just not how it actually works. It's a political question. If the American people don't want impeachment, odds are that the most representative body of the legis- of the government is not going to vote for impeachment. Whether they should or not is a different question, uh, you know, because sometimes the people are wrong. You can look it up. <laughs> um, so anyway. Big if true. Um uh, so yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I just you know, I don't do a lot of this on this podcast, and I, I just felt like um, you were mad as hell, and you couldn't take it anymore. Something like that, yeah. And you know, and I think it's good for my health because you know you have to worry about your health a lot, and sometimes even if you do rant, things go another way. So, what our, and that brings me to our sponsor. Our, our sponsor this week is Ethos. One thing is certain in life: expect the unexpected, and if you want to be prepared for the unexpected. Ethos can make sure your family is taken care of no matter what. You may be putting off getting life insurance because you think it's complex, expensive, and time-consuming. Ethos is a faster, easier, and more affordable way to get life insurance to make sure your family is taken care of, even if you aren't around to take care of them. They're committed to finding the plan that's best for you and your budget all from the comfort of your computer, tablet, or phone in just 10 minutes or less. Simply answer a few questions online about things like your health, age, and income, then finish your application and get a near-instant approval. Everyone is different, but a healthy 35-year-old, which I was once, can get $1 million of coverage for only $50 a month. With Ethos, you can rest easy knowing the people you love are taken care of. Confusing terms and piles of paperwork are not included. Now, this is it, – it's a great website. It's a great product. I recommend to everybody that they get life insurance. I personally just have a very large box of gold buried in my backyard, and I've told my wife where it is, so that's the life insurance. I'm kidding. But um, uh, this is something that I think everybody should take pretty seriously. And our listeners can get started by going to ethoslife.com slash dingo. And clicking on check my price. That's E T H O S L I F E, ethoslife.com slash dingo. Again, get a fully personalized quote by going to ethoslife.com slash dingo. One more time, make sure to visit ethoslife.com slash dingo so they know who sent you. Okay. So, other things to talk about. It now seems that Elizabeth Warren is pulling ahead of Biden in Iowa, which may mean that this whole corruption thing just simply vanishes because no one cares about it anymore. And um, Cory Booker basically said, if you don't uh, send me some money really quickly, I have to drop out. And it sounds like he's collecting money that way. And so, as a matter of equal time, and I wrote about this a while ago, and I think I brought this up in the Ben Sass conversation, I think it's worth pointing out that Donald Trump doesn't know a lot about constitutional norms, democratic norms. He doesn't know a lot about how government works. Um, And we know that about him. And um, we kind of understand why that's the case. He just doesn't care about this stuff. And he's never spent any time or energy thinking about it. Um, But my God, what's Elizabeth Warren's excuse? What's Kamala Harris's excuse? 
they have been proposing any number of wildly unconstitutional or illegal or both because those two things aren't always synonymous um, uh, proposals that also make no sense mathematically or politically and uh, and basically nobody in the press I mean there's this little bit of pushback on Warren for like how come you're not going to admit that you're going to have to raise taxes on the middle class but beyond that um, they don't get any of the grief that Donald Trump gets. And I th- I can understand why that w- double standard would be bothersome to a lot of them um, or annoying to a lot of Trump supporters. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is proposed an illegal and unconstitutional fracking ban, um, an e- unconstitutional wealth tax. Um, Kamala Harris has said that if she doesn't get what she wants within 100 days after getting elected, she will impose a unconstitutional gun grabbing program of some kind through executive order and you go down a very long list and the media just doesn't care and i so my my theory about this is that basically the democrats now um i kind of miss the days where they used to claim they were part of the reality-based community and that they just followed the data um but now the at least on the democratic side the idea is, is that you're supposed to communicate your highest ho- hopes and aspirations, and it's a kind of virtue signaling as in lieu of policy. And there, I mean, I, we could get a little Hayekian about all of this because one of the things that drives me crazy is that, like Elizabeth Warren, has all of these plans, and it is such a vanity play to a certain kind of elite, mostly white, affluent liberal who thinks that they um, are empiricists and they're. They have all the data on their side and all this kind of stuff. And the plans themselves are just full of nonsense about either political nonsense because none of it would pass the Senate um, or even the – sometimes even the House. Um, mathematical or, or, or fiduciary nonsense in the sense that it's um, – it just the, the stuff just doesn't add up um, in terms of being able to pay for it or it's legal nonsense or it's constitutional nonsense. But it sounds like – you know, we're the smart, serious people because we have plans and that plans are proof that we're serious. And so it makes listening to the Democrats kind of otherworldly at this point, um, except, except for Yang, who I, I kind of do enjoy. And, and, and what's her face? Uh, Marianne Williamson, who pleads guilty to being otherworldly from the get go. But it's like a good kind of Marianne Williams, good kind of otherworldliness. Um, Jack, do you have a favorite in the Democratic primary? Uh, do I have to have one? Do you have someone you dislike the least in the Democratic primary? Uh, I would say, uh, though I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her last name, Amy Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. She won my heart when she announced her campaign in the middle of a snowstorm in Minnesota and just kept talking. Yeah. That was very endearing. I got to say, at the end of the Kavanaugh hearings, I was pretty high on her. I thought she handled herself well. I mean, obviously, she was a Democrat. And I had my disagreements with her, and she was on the wrong side of the fundamental question. But she seemed to get how to comport herself. My basic problem with Klobuchar is that she wants to be in the Biden lane without sacrificing any credibility in the sort of Warren lane. And so she, when she talks about being a moderate, she almost all, with the exception of like opposing Medicare for all or something, when she talks about being a moderate, it's almost always about her tone. You know, she I, I, I get the political appeal of 
we're not going to have the that she's not going to be part of the screaming and the drama and all that kind of stuff. But on the, when she actually talks about the policy stuff, she's more on the left than um, the media is making her out to be. You know, she's for the Green New Deal and all that kind of stuff. And um, and I just wish she would actually own the moderate lane and actually be in it rather than just saying trying to have it both ways. Um, but I don't know. I I, I mean, I like of all those people, I think the. If I if we hadn't heard the stories about how horrible she is to her staff, I would think she. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. She, eh. She'd be one of those people that you'd think you could get along with and whatever. Um, but Yang seems. I mean, I think he's crazy about a bunch of stuff. But um, Yang seems like the kind of guy that I actually wouldn't mind having beers with. Um, oh, the there. beer test. That's yeah. a stupid way to choose your president. Particularly because I don't drink that much beer. Um, Irish whiskey. I'm not picking up my president, <laughs> dude. I'm just saying that I actually kind of like Yang um, as a person. Um, I find him kind of charming. Anyway, a uh, couple other points. Have you been noticing all the grief Ben Sass has been getting of late? And in part, we got dragooned into it because of our episode with him. I'm aware, yes. Yeah. I'm struggling with this. And now, as I think I telegraphed on that thing through my, well, I was, you know, sweating um jameson's uh i i uh i think i telegraphed that look i just i don't find his answer about the emergency funding of the wall thing that persuasive i think it's a really good rationalization but i don't i'm not on board with it um i also don't think he's lying you know i mean i I think he's he's there by you know for for sincere reasons for the most part but I'm just, I'm struggling with this. I think Charlie Sykes, who's a friend, was probably a little unfair um, in his attack on SAS. Um, I think part of the problem, and I, I'm still just trying to think through all this about how, you know, put aside the fact that being friends with politicians is inherently corrupting because you just judge them by different standards than you do when they're from afar. Um, and I've talked about that a million times. Um, you know, Pat Moynihan is probably one of the most lionized senators of the politicians of the last half century. And, you know, and he was a hero of Ben Sass's. He, you know, he wanted Moynihan's desk when he came into the Senate. And it's funny. Moynihan didn't, um, he made all sorts of political calculated, politically calculated votes. Um, you know, there was this weird, you know, dichotomy between politician Moynihan and public intellectual Moynihan that everyone sort of bought into. So, I mean, it was sort of like that old barb about Jews in New York. I can't remember who said it, but there's this old line about Jews in New York that they, um, live like Episcopalians and vote like Puerto Ricans. Um, there's a thing about Moynihan, which is that he sort of wrote and thought like a neocon, but voted like um, a party-line liberal. And um, and you don't... And so, I mean, the thing is... And that that's a story of one of the most, you know, beatified... Um, is beatified something you'd be most beatified, or is it like a binary thing? I think you're either beatified or you're not. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a it's a check mark thing, right? It's like a process thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But one of the most respected lion eyes. Lion eyes, there you go. 
um, politicians, you know, in my lifetime, I don't know how much of it, how much he was around in Jack's lifetime. But well, um, Hillary took over his seat, right? Yeah. So I don't know, like six years then, seven years. Did he have that seat until he died? I think so. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, whatever. He was not not much of my lifetime, if any. Yeah, and and there are other there are other senators, and so like part of you know Sass's argument is look, everybody in my state knows what I think about about Trump, and I don't want to get you know and and I don't he doesn't want to get into the sort of Beltway CNN media feeding frenzy cycle of having to denounce him every single time Trump does something. At the same time, you know, he's a senator. And he's supposed to sort of, and, and he did set a pretty significant precedent for himself um, in the positions he took on Trump a while back. And so anyway, I, I, I'm I still thinking through all of this stuff. I like him very much as a person. I like him. I, I admire him uh, enormously as sort of as, as an egghead. And I'm just trying to figure out the standard by which we're supposed to hold, you know, some of these politicians on this stuff. It would be nice if he came out and condemned Trump on this Ukraine stuff, but you know, it's, I, I, I'm not holding my breath on that one. Um, anything else that we need to discuss? Uh, Moynihan retired from the Senate in 2001 and then lived another two years after that. Did he? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the stories about Moynihan's drinking are kind of amazing. Like every journalist I know who interviewed him for, at any length has some sort of crazy story. Um, it's sort of like Christopher Hitchens, uh, who I've got several stories about. Um, but the joke from staffers at the time was that you would, you would say on the phone, um, when people called for him in the afternoon, uh, I'm sorry, the Senator's not here right now. He's on the floor. Uh (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, I can't remember why exactly I brought that up, but I just, you know, um, I guess, you know, the thing about the, Part of the problem that we have today is that the way we think about politicians, particularly eggheady politicians or intellectual politicians, is that they have to come up with some highfalutin argument for everything that they do that becomes too – and I think, I think Paul Ryan had this problem, um, that we have this expectation that they will um, – um, that they have to have this – theoretical construct that explains every position that they have rather than just say, look, this is what my voters want. This is what the people who put me in office want. And while I have my problems, blah, 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 um, that's the way it is. And we don't expect that from a lot of politicians who aren't intellectuals, but we think the intellectual ones have to have this sort of unified field theory of politics that the intellectual side wins every argument. And I, I, I don't think that's necessarily um let me put it this way it's not the way things actually work and i'm not sure it's the way things should work but i haven't really thought this through anyway i'm just sort of grappling about what my orientation towards um all this sass stuff should be because i do like the guy so much so uh coming up this week right we're going to just do some quick various and sundry here coming up this week we recorded an epic epic uh, Half-Baked Ideas episode with uh, Mike Gallagher, congressman from Wisconsin. And it is all over the place. We're discussing whether or not to make it a two-parter or just trim it a little bit 
into a one-parter, but stay tuned to listen for that because there's um, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And if there's any part of the conversation you don't like, don't worry about it because sort of like weather in all these cliched places, it'll change in like five minutes. And uh, anything else that we need to uh, announce today? Uh, not that I can think of, although I just heard a very loud uh, rumbling noise that reminds me of the, the method used to summon the Kraken in Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. So there may be a Kraken coming. Okay. Land-based Kraken. Yeah, yeah. The, the worst kind. Um, I hate land-based Krakens. And so uh, sign up for the G-File at Reagan35x.com. Stay tuned for some announcements on all of that in the beginning of October. And uh, follow us on Twitter at, at Jonah Remnant. And uh, send us email at theremnantpod at gmail.com. And other than that, I'll see you next time. No, you want this podcast. never lied <laughs> I, I, I told you only the truth okay now 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 I am yep I'm ready okay I know I'm